Isn't that good? Isn't that encouraging, church? It's awesome. Go ahead and be seated. Today, uh, you get to hear uh, from my pastor. And yes, I am a pastor, and yes, I have a pastor. And I believe that everyone does better when they have a pastor in their life. And that's because to have someone who is your pastor is to have someone who knows you, someone who loves you, and someone who will challenge you to move into the areas where God is calling you to move. And Pastor Greg has been that for me. I've been under his leadership since 2012. And I want to tell you this very clearly, that Gulfside Church, this wouldn't be happening if it wasn't for Pastor Greg's faith, his mentorship, his encouragement, his church's investment in making this happen. Like, none of this would have happened. And so I am so incredibly thankful for the way that his leadership has helped me personally grow, as well as being able to, to believe that God would do something like this. And I love having Pastor Greg here for, for just his encouragement's sake, but also I'm going to tell you, he's one of my favorite communicators. And I know that you're going to be blessed, you're going to be encouraged, you're going to be engaged by today's message. But I know that we're just at the beginning of what God is doing through this congregation but I know that we wouldn't have been able to see the miracles that we've already seen if it wasn't for Pastor Greg's engagement and belief in us. And I know that the dreams and the visions that we have ahead of us as a church are, are incredible, are encouraging, and I know that they're going to come to fruition because someone like him has poured himself into this body. And so as he comes today, would, would you just join me by standing and welcoming him to Gulfside Church? Thank you, brother. Thank you, Pastor Paul. <laughs> Greetings, everyone, here in the house and online. Welcome to Gulfside Church this morning. Um, Paul's very gracious. We're so, so proud of the work that he and Tia and this team, all the leadership are doing at Gulfside and making this possible. The pandemic's been a, been a hassle. We all have pandemic fatigue. I don't know about you here in Florida, but, but in Muncie, we've, we've had it. We're, we're just about done with this. And to navigate all of the unique challenges that the pandemic has confronted us with, with such grace and hope and vision, is really impressive. So I'm really proud of Paul and Tia and the whole team for getting, getting through this so well. It's impressive. So so grateful for that. Uh, Paul's very complimentary about my role uh, in making Golfside possible. The, the rule that Paul and I have is that everything that goes well and goes right here at Golfside, I get credit for. And all the stuff that <laughs> isn't so great, Paul gets the blame. And so as long as we keep that understanding in place, we'll be fine. But everyone's doing a great job, so we're so grateful. Well, one of the things that's been uh, a unique challenge for me in this past year or so has been the challenge to keep my faith. Sometimes you wonder in the middle of, of situations, circumstances like this, is God even real? God, are you there? I mean, Lord, are you paying attention? And how could you let this happen? Why this? Why us? Why me? Why now? And it's easy to go there. So today I want to encourage your faith. I just want to increase your hope. When you leave here today, I want you to be more determined to follow Jesus than you've ever been, okay? That's the goal. Now, I've chosen as our text this morning from the New Testament book of Hebrews. 
And the writer of Hebrews actually gives us the definition of faith. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and the assurance, the substance, the, the, I mean, the real stuff of what we cannot see. The assurance of things hoped for, the confidence of things that we have not seen. Now, if you are a person of faith and, and you've met Jesus and you know him personally, and you, you have become a Christian, you've become a follower of Jesus, you've exercised faith. Because this Jesus, as it turns out, you've never seen him. You've never heard his voice. You weren't there when he lived on the earth and performed miracles and taught the many beautiful things he taught. You weren't there when they crucified him, dead and buried. You weren't there the third day when he rose from the dead. <laughs> You weren't there when he ascended to heaven. You didn't see any of that. Your eyes have not laid onto that kind of experience. So how, how do you know it's true? By faith. By faith. The assurance of things hoped for. I, I'm hoping for eternity. I have the assurance of things I have not yet seen. I imagine things in my future that I have not laid my eyes on, but I believe will come to pass. How do I do that? By faith. So the writer of Hebrews says, this is what the ancients were commended for. So the men and women of faith and history have been congratulated, have been recognized, have been esteemed, have been commended for faith. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was in was made out of what is visible. So God actually spoke the universe into being from nothing to something. That's a lot of power. By faith Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith he was commended, there's that word again, as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. By faith Abel still speaks even though he's dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And here's verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For we must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. So why would it be impossible to please God without faith? Why would it be that God's highest expectation of us is to walk with him by faith, to practice our faith? It's because he knows who he is. God knows who he is. Sometimes we get confused about who God is, but God is not confused about who he is. And he knows that he is absolutely and utterly and immutably trustworthy, reliable, powerful. He's got it. Whatever it takes, he is sufficient. He is able. So God knows who he is, and because he knows who he is, he asks us to trust him by faith. It's impossible to please him without it. There was an uh, interesting story that, that occurred in one of the Gospels. Maybe some of you remember it. There was a paralyzed man. He had four friends. 
And this guy couldn't move himself around. He's laying on a mat, and Jesus is teaching in a local house, and the house is packed. I mean, standing room only, you can't get in. People hanging out the windows. There's no way to get their paralyzed friend to Jesus. So they haul this guy up on a roof. They tear a hole in the roof. Remember this. And they lower their friend down on ropes until he's in front of Jesus. And Jesus, this is what the text says, and seeing their faith, he was moved. Seeing their faith, he was moved. So apparently it's possible to practice your faith in such a way that it can be noticed, that Jesus can see it. Now here's my question to you today. In what ways does God see your faith being practiced? What about the giving of your time to serve others? What about the special gifts, talents, abilities God's given you to assist those in need around you? What about the resources that God has placed at your disposal? Does God give witness? Can he see your faith in practice? Because without it, without faith, it's impossible to please God. You said it this way, faith without works, corresponding activity, corresponding action is dead. Faith without works is dead. And so we know faith is a big deal. It's the assurance of things hoped for, and it's the evidence of things not yet seen. That is a powerful thing in the world, powerful force in the world. I love the story from Disney World here in Orlando. Many years ago when Disney World was being constructed, Walt Disney, of course, the originator and creator of the whole concept, was actually dying of lung cancer at the time and never saw the completion of Disney World Orlando. And at the ribbon-cutting ceremony, these many decades ago now when Disney World was open, grand opening the first day, Walt Disney's wife was there, and she's the one who actually cut the ribbon to open up Disney World the first day. And one of the reporters standing close by, you know, this is a magnificent accomplishment, and he said, too bad that Walt isn't here to see this day. And she immediately corrected him and said, oh, yeah, he saw this. He said, she said, that's why it's here, because he saw it. Isn't that, isn't that something? That's faith, the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. And so Jesus witnessed the faith of these four friends, and so he healed the paralyzed man. Very powerful story. Another story, a man who was an expert tightroper, you know, he would walk across large expanses on this wire with this balancing pole, and he was going to go across Niagara Falls, stretch the line across the falls, magnificent setting, big crowds of people on either side. He turns to the crowd and says, how many of you believe I can walk across this wire across the falls? And they said, yes, we believe you can do it. Yeah, you can do it. And he took his balancing pole, got on the wire, and sure enough, he walked across <laughs> the, the falls. Amazing. He gets to the other side, and the crowd is going wild. They're happy, and he pulls out this wheelbarrow. And the, the wheel is fashioned so that it fits right on the wire. He said, how many of you believe I can push this wheelbarrow across the wire across Niagara Falls? And the crowd said, yes, we believe you can do it. Go for it, man. This is awesome. And he did it. He walks across the wire, across the falls. Amazing. Gets to the other side, and the crowd there is going wild, going crazy. He said, listen, he said, how many of you believe that I could put a person in the wheelbarrow 
and walk across Niagara Falls. And they all scream, yes, you can do it. We believe in you. Let's go. Go for it, man. And then he pauses and said, how about you, sir? And the man goes, oh, no. No, no. I'm not getting in the wheelbarrow. I believe you can do it, but not if my life's on the line. Not if it's going to cost me everything, just in case you can't or don't. See, here's what God says to us. He says, do you believe I could walk across this wire with you in the wheelbarrow? Yes, Lord. Here's, here's what Jesus expects. Because you can't please God without it. You've got to get in the barrel. Got to get in. Got to get in. Got to get in. If you don't get in, you can't please God. Because without faith, you can't please God. You can pretend like you're pleasing God. You can, you can, you can act like you're pleasing God. You can, you can imagine that you're, you can rationalize that you're pleasing God. And you know good and well that you haven't gotten in the barrel. You haven't gone all in. You're not living your life in such a way that Jesus could actually see your faith. Let me just uh, offer a few things that keep people from practicing their faith. Maybe you find yourself here, and I want to encourage you, put some courage into your faith today. Here's the one thing. Don't let circumstances deter you from practicing your faith. Don't let circumstances do it. In Ecclesiastes 11.4, it says, Whoever watches the wind will not sow. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. In other words, if, if you're a farmer and you go, Well, it doesn't look like the weather's going to be perfect this year, so I'm not going to put any seed in the ground. This is not going to try this farming thing this year because the weather isn't going to be perfect. Or I just don't. I just don't think the circumstances in our culture right now, you know, they're not very favorable, and we're not sure when the, how the economy is going to bounce back. We're not sure about the whole political and social upheaval and all the stuff going on. It just seems so uncertain, and, and there's just so many questions and circumstances that, that are unpredictable. I just think I'm just going to withhold. I think I'm just going to back up and play it safe and not really extend myself too much until this all blows over. Listen, don't let circumstances keep you from practicing your faith. God is in his heaven. He is faithful. How many of you know that Jesus has not wrung his hands one time in the last year? He's not wearing a mask. Now, it's not that you shouldn't. I'm just saying he doesn't because he's not worried. not afraid. The circumstances aren't going aren't to dissuade him from doing what he does. And neither should circumstances in your life keep you from practicing your faith. One of, the, one of the great questions that my wife Beth asks me, we've been married for 44 years, and, and she's really good at this because sometimes my faith gets wobbly. I've already confessed that to you. Sometimes I wonder, God, are you there? And if you're there, do you even care about what's going on? It just seems like you're out there and you're not interested. And sometimes my faith gets that way. And she always comes to me with this question. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? Sometimes I say, yes, yes, I trust him. Thank you. That, that gives me perspective again. Sometimes I say, no, I don't trust God. I don't even like God right now, let alone trust him. Now, if you haven't been to that point yet, just keep breathing. Something will come up. <laughs> it always does. 
So we can't let circumstances keep us from practicing our faith. Here's the second thing. Don't let doubt, don't let doubt deter you. In Mark chapter 9, there's a powerful story here. There's a, a man who has a boy. We don't know how old he is. We think, speculate maybe he's 8, 9, 10 years old. And he's demonized. And this boy is not well. He is, he is unable to hear. He's unable to speak. He tries to hurt himself. He throws himself into the fire. He throws himself into the water, trying to destroy his own life. And this father, can you imagine, can you imagine being the father of this boy? This is impossible to even comprehend. He is, he is completely out of control. He convulses. He has these seizures. And, he, and he, he's unresponsive. And you're trying to manage this boy in your house. It's just impossible to even comprehend. And Jesus is passing through. And the father goes, well, Jesus has a reputation. Maybe he could do something to help my son. And so when Jesus gets there, the father comes up to Jesus and says, I've got this boy here, and he then describes all the symptoms. And I would say, you know, here's his medical file. It's a mess. This boy's in trouble. And you would think Jesus, Jesus would have some sympathy for the guy, at least, because the guy says, you know, if you could do anything to help my boy, I sure would appreciate it. And it's just like that. You can, you can feel the, the hope, maybe, the longing in his tone. And Jesus doesn't take a second to respond to this guy. And Jesus says, if I can, all things are possible to them that believe. You go, whoa, That's, that seems a little, little strong. <laughs> Is it, uh, Jesus, uh, was that as sensitive as you were shooting for there? I'm not sure. But he's making the point about the importance of faith and trusting God no matter what that you can actually drag all of your doubts, and all of us have them. You can drag all of your questions, all of your doubts to Jesus, and he'll meet you there. The father had a perfect response. Listen to what the father says in response to Jesus saying, if you can. The father says, oh yes, he said, I do believe, but help me in my unbelief. Isn't that a good prayer? Isn't that a great prayer? Could I encourage you to pray that one? I pray that prayer a lot. Lord, I do believe, but help me in my unbelief. Help me. I need help. I need grace. And more grace, Lord. And the, the Father so sincerely, so, so hopefully, says, help me in my unbelief. Jesus, I can just imagine Jesus smiles at this man, and he turns to this boy, and the Spirit's in him, and he says, <laughs> and this is the quote from the, from the text, he says, he says, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. And the boy was thrown onto the floor, the ground one more time and convulsed one more time. And these demons were expelled from him. And this boy was well. He could hear. He could speak. His mind was clear. No more seizures. Can you imagine Jesus delivering this boy to his father? How many of you know that was a good day in that family? It was a good day. Can imagine on the way home that father holding that boy's hand, boy looking up and just saying, Dad, I'm hungry. Could we get something to eat soon? Wouldn't that be sweet? Wow, what a beautiful day. Don't let doubt deter you from practicing your faith. Don't let it happen. Here's the third thing don't let people deter you 
from practicing your faith. I'm going to talk to someone right now. In Luke 18, there's a blind man that's on the road to Jericho. Jesus is, and his entourage is passing through, again, with a reputation. And this blind man hears that Jesus is close by, and so he starts yelling, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And his friends, the blind man's friends, turn to him and say, you've got to be quiet. You're acting a fool. Don't you know this is an important rabbi? This Jesus, he's an important person, and you're embarrassing yourself, and you're embarrassing our village, and you just got to have to calm down. You know, we, we just won't be able to take you out anymore. You know, we can, you're, you're just not socially adjusted. And the more they try to dissuade him from yelling, from shouting, the louder he gets. Jesus, son of David, can you feel him pulling on him? You know, reaching to cover his mouth. <laughs> Have mercy on me. <laughs> and Jesus stops. And they go, okay, see you, what you've done. Now we're all in trouble. We're all embarrassed. This is ridiculous. Jesus has him come over there. and So he's blind. So the guy comes over to Jesus. He's like this. He, he's totally blind. <laughs> Jesus says, what, yeah, what did you want? What did you want me to do for you? The guy says, well, you know, being able to see, let's start there. It's hilarious. Jesus looks at him and he says these words. He says, your faith in God has made you well. And he healed him. Don't let people deter you from God's best plan and design for your life. There's always going to be voices around you. Always. They're going to be family they're going to be friends. They're going to be casual. They're going to be complete strangers. They're going to be talking heads on TV. They're going to be your favorite music artist. They're going to be your favorite Hollywood personality. They're going to be voices and people all the time throughout your life trying to keep you, trying to dissuade you, trying to discourage you from following God's best plan and design for your life. And don't let them keep you from practicing your faith. Don't let them do it. This June, I will have pastored Union Chapel Church in Muncie, Indiana for 40 years. 40 years. Do you suppose there have been any occasions over those 40 years where there were people around me trying to tell me that I shouldn't do something? Like f five years ago or so when we said, listen, in the next 10 years, we're going to plant 10 new churches. 10 churches in the next 10 years. All kinds of people are saying, why would we want to plant churches? There are churches everywhere. It seems like we've got too many churches now. <laughs> and how much is that going to cost to plant a church like that? There are always people like that. And I just thought we're going to plant 10 churches in 10 years. And I hadn't heard from God about planting 10 churches in 10 years. I just thought it was a clever, you know, like a little memory peg. So people would go, yeah, our church is doing... Oh, yeah, 10 churches in 10 years, because they could remember that. <laughs> make, it, make it easy. But I didn't have any corner on 10. It just was the thing I knew God wanted us to do, plant some churches. Because planting new churches is the single best way to reach folks who are far from God. It's the best way to reach them. There isn't a close second it's the best way. So we just thought, let's do the best way. 
to reach people far from God. Let's do that. And so Pastor Paul was one of the first Gulfside Church, one of the first initiatives we took. And people, you know, wondering about this. Well, here's something I can report to you now. One of our other church planters, like Paul, is pastoring a church, planted one in a neighboring town in Indiana, in Anderson, Indiana. And it's an inner city church. And he has an association with another evangelist. And this guy's name is Nick Voyevich. Some of you maybe have heard of Nick Voyevich. He operates a ministry called Life Without Limbs. Nick was born without arms or legs. Think about that. Uh, it's remarkable. No, I mean, no, at the shoulders, no arms and no legs at, at the bottom of his torso. He has no legs. He has a little flipper on one side. That's all he has, which he uses to, with his cell phone and his keyboard. I mean, he can, he can go. And God has opened doors to Nick Voyevich all over the world. I mean, doors that were, are closed to the gospel in Muslim countries, in communist countries, they say to Nick Voyevich, come and tell our people your story because he's inspiring. I mean, how do you live your life without limbs? And he does it by the power of God and the grace of God. And one of the doors that God has opened to Nick Voyevich is in prisons. And so this past year, our associate in Anderson, Indiana, just like Paul, partnered with us to plant a church and associated with Nick Voyevich, they have been in 228 prisons in the past year, preaching the gospel. Here's Nick Voyevich's vision, because now we've sat down with Nick. And I said to Nick, Lord, Nick, we're, we're planting churches. He said, I want to plant churches. I said, tell me about that. He said, here's what I want to do. I need someone like you to train inmates who, are, who have a, 15, 20, 30, 50-year life sentence in state and federal prisons who are called of God to be ministers of the gospel. They've come to Christ. These men and women, they love Jesus, and they, they want to help the, their fellow inmates. They want to make a difference. They feel called of God to plant a church, but they're in prison, and they're not getting out. And so Nick says, Will you train these men and women in prisons to plant churches inside of prisons? He said, let's do it. So we're going to, we're probably going to, in the next, in the next handful of years, we're probably going to plant a hundred churches just in prisons. Hallelujah. Just in prisons. That, you know, that's got to be a good thing, right? That's got to be good. But you can't, you can't let people... When I say that to some folks, you guys get it because you understand. But I say this to some Christian crowds, and we're going to plant churches in prisons. People go, why would you even want to go to a prison, let alone how would a, how would a church, how do you have do a church in prison? Where's the steeple? I don't, I'm not sure. Christians are goofy. I mean, it's, it's puzzling. Don't let people deter you. Don't let people deter you. I'm encouraging someone right now because you're thinking of, you're thinking, you can see the face of the person who's just constantly going, why do you go to that church? Why are you trying to follow Jesus? That's such, such a passe, so archaic. You know, the, the, nobody believes that stuff anymore. What are you, naive? What are you? Don't let it happen. Here's the last thing. Don't let fear deter you from practicing your faith. 
1 Kings 17, beautiful story of the widow of Zarephath. There's a drought. This is the judgment of God. There's a drought in the land and people are starving. The widow has a son. She's a single mom. She has a son and she is out of food and she's going to die. People are starving. She's got enough meal in the basket and oil in the, in, the, in the jar for one more meal. Her plan and her son and she have talked this over. They're going to fix one more cake, bake that cake, eat one final meal, and then they're going to die. She's heading home. And she runs into this prophet, prophet of God named Elijah. And Elijah knows exactly what's going on. He understands the circumstances. He understands the judgment of God. Elijah's the one who said it's not going to rain anymore. And so he's, he's the representative of God for this whole mess. And he, and he encounters this woman, and he says, Listen, uh, tonight, uh, widow of Zarephath, I'm coming to your house. I'll be there at 7. I want you to fix me dinner. She said, You don't understand. She explains her plans. I only have enough for one more meal, my son and I. He said, yeah, well, this is what the Lord God of Israel says to you. If you will do what the prophet, the man of God says, you will always be sustained. God will take care of you. Now, she had a choice to make, didn't she? Can you imagine? Can you even try to put yourself in her place? She wants to be a responsible mother. She cares about her son. He is her top priority. Nothing is more important to her than him. She will die for him. She'll do anything for this boy. She loves him. And God wants to take the last meal she has available for her son and give it to the prophet. When you hear it, you go, what kind of nonsense is that? That's like selfishness. That's, that's like wrong. It's immoral. It's terrible. <laughs> How fearful she must have been. What does she do? She turns to the prophet and says, I'll see you at seven. She goes home and she uses the last amounts of her supply, fixes a little cake, serves it to the prophet. Can you see her little son sitting at the table? Nothing to eat. What is going on? I'll tell you what's going on. Here is a woman with all the right stuff, with all the right motives, with, with, all, with all of the right perspective about what honorable looks like. Let me tell you what else she is. She is a woman practicing her faith in a great big God. She goes to bed hungry with her son, but the next morning she wakes up first thing she does, she goes, pulls the lid off of that meal box. 
The bottom is covered in meal. She goes to her little vial, her jar. She opens it, and there's just enough for she and her son that day. And it happened the next day, and the day after that, and the day after that, and the week after that, and the month after that. Every day there was enough of a supply for she and her son until the prophet said, all right, it's going to rain again. And the famine was broken. This is a woman who models for us in the most dire kinds of circumstances what practicing your faith looks like because it's impossible to please God without it. The Bible says that the eyes of God run to and fro looking throughout the whole earth, looking for men and women like you and me who will practice their faith. And when He finds such men and women, He will supply their need. He will meet them in their hour of darkness and need. Beth and I raised two sons when they were really little, little guys, just newbies. You know, like 25 pounders, something like that. Not little babies, but just, you know, not walking yet, but, you know, so, you know they, they can hold their heads up and, you know, maybe even start standing up on things. They haven't walked yet, so they're just little newbies, about 25 pounds. Now, imagine me at about 25 years old. I, had, I played Division I basketball when I was in college. You have to imagine this. <laughs> so just let your imagination run wild. And imagine me, and I'm just a couple of years out of Division I basketball, and, and I'm fit. And I didn't do this in front of Beth because she wouldn't permit it. And I don't recommend you do this. This is something I did. It's not, I wouldn't write it in a book, so do this as a parent. But I would take the, take the boys when they were just that size, and I'd go out in the front yard because I needed more, more room. And I would, you know, you, hey, you take a baby and you kind of go like this with them, and they, and they ooh, and they, their stomach, you know, and they, they giggle. You get them to giggle a little bit, but you never really let go of them. Well, I would, I would let go, and I would... I would toss them, you know, toss them about a foot. And they both survived. They're both fine. You're, right now, when I finish this story, you're going to turn me in. You're going to call Child Protective Service. It's too late. The boys are raised. They're raising their own children now. They would lie for me. You can, the law of limitation, you can't get me on this. So, so just trust me. And so I would toss them, and then I would toss them a little bit higher. And once they, I tossed them three or four feet, you know, they would, be, they would kind of get that cat, you know, who jumped off the roof, you know, kind of look. And that was perfect. And then, they would, and then I would catch them. That's the key to this exercise. You always have to catch them. If you don't have confidence about the catch, don't make the throw. Just, just. I would also take them, before they could walk, and I had to do this outside of Beth's sight. I would make them stand up on my hand like this, and I would, and I have pictures of my boys who are only about this tall, standing on my hand, like this. We were like a little circus act. It was something. <laughs> but all of that had purpose. And out in the front yard, then now imagine me, 25 years old, and fit, <laughs> and I would launch those guys. I would toss those boys as high as I could throw them. 
I don't know how high they went. <laughs> 10 feet, 12 feet. I don't know how far can you throw a 25-pound baby. <laughs> but I, as high as I could throw them. And I would just go, I would, you know, I would just go, Woo! like this, and just launch them. And they would start, I, I put them in space. <laughs> and they would, they weren't sure at first about the experience. But after, after a while, they loved it. Because they always caught them. They loved it. So as they got bigger, they would come to me. They would beg me, Dad, would you throw me? Throw me out in the front yard? Okay, let's go. And I'd just launch them. till they got too big, you know, they got too heavy, you couldn't throw them high enough. So then I would just set them on the counter in the kitchen, and I, and I would say, now put your toes over the counter, and I would back up, and I'd say, now jump. And I'd make them jump for me. And I would get, eventually get clear across the room, and, just, and they would have to, you know, I mean, get down like this and just, boom, like, a, like a ski jump guy, and just go, boom, and just go horizontal like this. They knew they, could, they wouldn't survive if I didn't catch them. So they would, they would trust me, and they would just launch themselves off the counter and fly across the room, and I would catch them. Now, here's what's been happening to us. God's been tossing us. This last year or so, I mean, he's been tossing us. He's been launching us. Gosh, it's uncomfortable. Are you going to catch me, Lord? I'm falling, God. I'm on my way down. Can I trust you? Will you catch me? And here's what I'm here to tell you. If you'll practice your faith, I promise you, God will catch you. He will catch you every time. He will never drop you. You'll never slip through his hands. He's got you. He'll catch you. Now, here's the opportunity that Golfside Church has Pastor Paul has been diligent to keep an eye on places that you can meet. So diligent about that. And now a property's opened up. It looks promising. This could be very hopeful for your future to establish your own campus. It's so great, so important. And here you are. And God's tossed you. Will you catch us, God? So here's an opportunity for you to practice your faith. You to, to, go, to go in. To go all in. And everybody doing their part, if everyone does their part, the need will be met. God will provide. You'll have a story to tell. And the next time God asks you to do some big thing, great thing, important thing, you'll go, hey, he caught us last time. He'll catch us this time. Because God's got a great plan and purpose for us. He has a destiny in mind for us. And we want to be part of it. So could I encourage you today? Don't let circumstances keep you from practicing. Don't let fear keep you, doubt keep you, people keep you from practicing your faith. Because God is faithful. And you can trust him. And he'll catch you every time. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning.
for your goodness, your faithfulness, your trustworthiness. You're such a good God. And so, Lord, I pray for each one of us today as we find ourselves in the journey. Some of us, we've been through it. All of us have been touched so many ways. So I pray, God, that you would draw close to us as we draw close to you and that you would encourage our faith. You would reestablish our hope. And Lord, as we leave here today, we would know that you're going to catch us every time. Thank you for your goodness and faithfulness, we pray. In Jesus' name, and all the people said, amen.